Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Friday, January 24th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Intel shares jumped on Wednesday night after the chipmaker posted better-than-expected results for the last quarter of 2019. Former Wells Fargo boss John Stump will have to pay millions over the bank's fake accounts scandal. And the European Central Bank kicks off its first strategic review in 16 years. But first, the founder of opioid maker Insys has been sentenced to five and a half years in prison, all for masterminding a scheme to bribe doctors to prescribe a dangerous painkiller. Hannah Kushler will tell us more. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. So on Thursday, we saw the first executives from an opioid maker sentenced to prison time for their role in bribing doctors to prescribe an opioid. So the INSYS founder, John Kapoor, got five and a half years in prison. And Alec Berlikoff, who was the VP of sales, who was very influential in the bribery scheme, got two years because he turned star witness for the prosecution and so got a slightly reduced sentence. Right. And about Mr. Berlikoff, what did you and your team learn from talking to him in the run-up to the sentencing? Yeah. So um, we're doing this fantastic collaboration at the FT with the team at PBS Frontline, who are you know some of the most prestigious documentary makers in the U.S. Um, and we're really following the story of INSYS, which was the best performing IPO of 2013, into this situation where we have you know, executives going to prison. Berlikoff was very open with us about how he didn't really believe that there were going to be criminal consequences for his actions. Frankly, I believe him because there haven't been very many criminal consequences for these kind of schemes. In general, companies are just hit with fines. Which makes yesterday's sentencing all the more eye-catching. So what kind of precedent does this set for other U.S. pharmaceutical representatives? So I think it puts other pharmaceutical executives, especially in the opioid industry, on notice. There's many, many civil suits continuing with states and counties trying to pursue opioid makers for money because of the cost of dealing with the fallout from this epidemic, which has now hit 2 million Americans. But actually, we are also seeing um, people becoming more interested in the idea of pursuing criminal prosecutions. The prosecutor on this case actually also spoke to our team and he said that He hopes that this does embolden other prosecutors because what they used is a law which actually is usually used to go after the mob and the mafia and and came out in the 70s because of that and has not been used very often to pursue companies, but that may be changing. The latest batch of earnings results from Intel could be a sign of better times ahead for the chip-making sector. After three quarters of flat, or in some cases, declining revenues, Intel beat analyst expectations for the final quarter of 2019. It was largely thanks to the company's data center division. Intel's revenues jumped 8% to a little more than $20 billion in the period. Analysts had expected 3% revenue growth. The semiconductor industry hit a low point at the end of 2018 as companies cautioned investors on the effects of a potential global economic slowdown. And though Wall Street had been betting on a recovery through much of 2019, there weren't many solid signs. But the news from Intel on Wednesday evening sent shares up as much as 7% in after-hours trading. 
Back in 2016, it came to light that bankers at Wells Fargo branches were opening fake accounts for customers without their knowledge. Wells Fargo was fined $185 million after the scandal broke, and on Thursday, U.S. officials doled out brand new penalties. Here's U.S. finance editor Robert Armstrong. Obviously, no one was amused when this story came to light, and the scandal that ensued has since claimed the jobs of two chief executives at the company. The CEO who was in the news on Thursday was John Stumpf, who was actually in charge of the company at the time the fake accounts were being opened. He was fined over $17 million by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which is one of the United States' several bank regulators. This is a big deal because it is rare, to say the least, to see a fine of this size levied for misbehavior by bankers. Now, this was not a financial crisis event, but of course, the psychological context here is that no bankers went to jail or faced significant monetary penalties, other than perhaps loss of the value of their shares in the banks they ran, following that crisis. So here is an example of somebody finally paying the consequences of their actions. When the European Central Bank gathered for yesterday's rate-setting meeting, there wasn't much focus on interest rates themselves. Instead, ECB President Christine Lagarde laid out the priorities for the central bank's first strategic review in 16 years. Among the areas up for review, its inflation target and just how effective its policy toolkit is. Ms. Lagarde plans to finish this review by the end of the year. The FT's Martin Arnold has more from Frankfurt. More controversially, Christine Lagarde committed to look at other areas beyond its core price stability mandate, as well as things like financial stability, employment, and crucially, environmental sustainability. And this raises the prospect of the ECB becoming more proactive on green issues and climate change, which is a contentious area that's likely to provoke a lot of debate within the central bank. The end of the year seems like a pretty tight deadline. What do people think about this timeline and what Ms. Lagarde is trying to accomplish? So I've spoken to quite a few economists since the press conference on Thursday, and they believe that there will be some changes that come out of this. But given the ambitious nature of the agenda and also the deep divisions between the 25 members of the ECB's governing council, over many of these issues and also the compressed, relatively compressed timetable, they think that the results of it will be relatively modest. And and what one of them said to me is most likely is there's going to be some kind of deal that gets done between the hawks on the uh, council who favour rate increases and the doves who prefer rates to stay low for longer. And that deal will involve the doves giving up on the more extreme ideas of how to loosen monetary policy further, like helicopter money, which is the direct distribution of cash to citizens by the central bank, or uh, changing the inflation target to one that measures inflation over the cycle as an average, in order to get a more modest change to the inflation target, which will be shifting to a straightforward 
2% target that is, is effectively raising the target for inflation and therefore putting off the point at which the ECB is likely to raise rates. What did you learn about how policymakers are feeling about the economic outlook? It's very subtle, but they have talked about how the economic outlook has slightly improved and also how there's been a moderate increase in inflation. And that's been seen as a slightly hawkish move because they're basically saying, you know, things are moving up a little bit. And so we're watching that. They're not saying we're going to raise rates tomorrow, but you're getting that feeling that they're starting to see the economy stabilize and perhaps slightly brighten because the trade tensions between the US and China have eased and also inflation is ticking up a bit. And therefore, you know, they're feeling a little bit better about how things are going. And, and so the market itself has anticipated this already by switching from positioning itself for a rate cut this year by the ECB to actually positioning itself more for a rate rise next year. It's moderate and there's not huge certainty about these moves, but that's certainly the direction of travel now. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Amy Keene and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Amelia Mahasik. We also had help from Gavin Coleman and Michael Bruning. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.